Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belayo, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today, I have with me Lexi Dudera, who is the founder and executive director of the Saltwater Classroom here in Maine. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I'm sure people are going to be intrigued by even the name that of uh, the saltwater classroom, because many people think of classrooms as being kind of contained and indoors, mm. but yours is exactly the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Happy to share a little bit about it. Um, so Saltwater Classroom is a nonprofit, like you said, based here in Maine, that's focused on a new wave of ocean education. We really believe in the power of environmental education to kind of be the first step towards a more sustainable f- future and a more... Um, you know, stewardship driven life in relation to the ocean. Um, So we focus on ocean education with young students, primarily grades three through six or so ages nine to 12 and learners of all ages as well. We do a lot of community programs too. So what was the um, inspiration for this? What was it that caused you to decide this is where I would like to focus my energy? Yeah, certainly. Um, I grew up here in Maine in the mid coast in Camden and, you know, from a very early age was fascinated by the ocean and it's inescapable for many here in Maine, um, but just felt so strongly that innate connection to the ocean. So this led me to, you know, pursue opportunities related to ocean science mostly, um, did, you know, a program with the Island School in Cape Eleuthera in the Bahamas during my high school and, um, yeah, just ultimately chose to pursue, um, a degree in marine biology at Northeastern in Boston. And in my education realized that, you know, maybe the hard science wasn't necessarily what I wanted to spend my time doing. So chose to broaden my education with a degree, um, in environmental policy. And it was during this time, um, I was studying abroad in Chile, a coastal city there, researching urban coastal sustainability. And one of the you know, strategies that stood out to me was the power of environmental education. Um, it's a fairly simple solution, but can really have a profound impact on the way that a society sees and views you know, the environment. So at the same time, I was volunteering in a fifth grade classroom and helping teach English. And I just, you know, the combination of factors, but saw this opportunity for young kids to learn about the ocean and connect with one another as well. Um, So that was the original basis for Saltwater Classroom. I returned to Boston after that experience and developed, you know, our original curriculum and business plan and rationale as my, my senior thesis or capstone project. And we did our first program uh, six months later or so, which was in 2018. So this this summer we've celebrated five years since our first program. So that must feel really good that you, and I know that Northeastern is known for this, the really the integration of education and kind of true real world experiences. Yes, certainly. But to have spent all this time on a capstone, which mm-hmm. is considerable, and mm-hmm. then actually be able to use that in mm-hmm. your own life and move forward with something mm-hmm. that you've created essentially. Yeah, it is very rewarding, certainly. And it's a lot of work. And I, you know, over the past five years of doing this have experienced a lot of different, you know, emotions and challenges related to it. But um, it certainly is very rewarding. And I, you know, 
more than ever remain committed to the vision that we have for the organization. So, so when you talk about um, educational activities mm-hmm. for children, and also I think you do some work with adults, mm-hmm. um, what are the things that you tend to focus on? Yeah. Um, so our programming can take a few different formats. Um, for the most part, we deliver ocean education through week-long workshops. So we um, either you know, in school classrooms or as summer programs or after school programs. Um, and it's a very adaptable structure, but essentially it covers our, our core curriculum, which is a really broad uh, introduction to ocean science and conservation. Um, we start kind of with the global perspective of our oceans and then zero in on the coast and coastal environments, you know, marine life and different species in the ocean um, and kind of and conclude by talking about ways that we're connected to the ocean, um, issues that have arisen because of that, and then ways that we can all be better stewards of the ocean. So when you work with a group of children, let's mm-hmm. just say, and you start at the beginning of the week and, and you come out of it you know, at the end, what type of evolution do you see in their approach and their thinking and their attitudes? Yeah. You know, what types of things are you noticing? Yeah. I think a big thing is kind of just the confidence and the familiarity and the, um, comfortability of the kids. And you see them kind of grow in, in their like inner belief of, of themselves and their assuredness. And, um, we have a lot of lessons that, you know, require students to share their work or, um, you know, present something that they, that they developed. So there's definitely a big aspect of that. Um, and you know, there's different levels of background knowledge, um, in groups that we, that we see. So sometimes there's kids that like, you know, know everything there is to know about deep ocean or something or whale experts or super passionate about, you know, what have you. Um, so sometimes we see that. And then sometimes there's very little background knowledge. So I think, um, a big evolution is just kind of their, their understanding of the oceans as, you know, a large global system, um, an ecosystem, but also our connection to it. I, th- I see a big change in that as well. So growing up near the ocean, as you and I both mm. did, um, I think it's easy to kind of have it become almost background noise and be mm-hmm. like, oh, well, it's so beautiful and it's always there and it's also so big and so maybe we don't have to worry about it. Right. But then over time, understanding how just small changes in human behavior can really have pretty significant impacts, especially when they're kind of incremental and everybody is um, engaged in them. And I say this to the positive and the negative. Yeah. So I think it would be easy to get maybe a little overwhelmed by that idea. Mm-hmm. How did you work through, and maybe you weren't overwhelmed, I don't really know, but I mean, I assume, I think a lot of people when it comes to environmental conversations do get to that place. So how do we help people push, push through the overwhelm to feeling empowered? Yeah. I, it's, you bring up a lot of good points. I think, you know, taking the ocean for granted is certainly something that, um, you know, ocean conservation has struggled with for a long, long time because it is so vast and so unknown. And, you know, it's not necessarily right in your backyard or something that you can easily access. Um, so for a long time, you know, ocean issues and, um, 
you know, the ocean in general has kind of just been pushed to back burner, kind of out of sight, out of mind. And unfortunately, that's led to a lot of degradation and environmental harm. Um, But I think when you start really learning about the ocean, it kind of just opens a floodgate of possibilities and, um, you know, different avenues to explore. There's so many ways that we connect with the ocean. Um, and our curriculum really tries to, you know, illuminate as many of those connections as possible because it's critical that we all are better stewards of the ocean. You know, even if we don't have an inclination towards science or, you know, or think we might like it or something. Um, so we kind of explore all these different entry points for, for ocean science. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say too, is we really, our biggest, you know, belief is that you can help the ocean just by, by learning about it because from education stems value and appreciation and ultimately protection. So kind of taking this like growth mindset towards it and, you know, understanding that there's infinite things to learn about the ocean, but that that can be, you know, a, w- a pathway to better stewardship. And and it definitely is overwhelming at times, but. <laughs> well, and I think that's that's the thing is that there is that interesting balance, right? Yeah. You, you want people to be aware and sometimes to generate awareness, you provide them with information that can be somewhat mind-blowing, mm-hmm. especially in its sort of enormity of mm-hmm. impact. But then also you don't want to paralyze them. Right. And especially with, if you're talking about children. Yes. You know, and that's an easy thing to do to really, you can create a really scary scenario. Right. Yes. I'm assuming that's not your intent. No, we remain very, you know, positive. And again, talking about the power of individual impact and the power that, you know, fairly simple solutions can have and what we can all do to, um, you know, be a better friend towards the ocean. So, um, we yeah, definitely try and stay very positive because it can be doom and gloom and we avoid that. Um, you know, not, not sugarcoating the realities, but still looking at it in a positive way. And sometimes it's harder than others, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, and as we're talking, I'm thinking about my conversation with a, an individual from the Gulf of Maine Research Institute mm-hmm. and talking about this idea of fostering resiliency. Yes. And obviously, you know, sustainability is is good, but even sustainability is kind of you're you're kind of keeping things the way they are. And mm-hmm. resiliency is almost the sense that you have to get a little stronger to right. actually make things better than they currently are, right. which is challenging. Right. Yeah. And I see, you know, education as being a really powerful solution in the face of climate change, because, you know, if we have a base level understanding of how our system works, of how we impact the ocean, of how, you know, all these different things, it can be such a stronger starting point. Um, and you can have, you know, just a baseline basically. So I know that when I think about impacting water supplies, for Mm. example, you know, and I happen to live on an island, so I'm very aware of this, you know, obviously there are simple things like, you know, don't, don't use chemical on your lawn, you know, make sure that you're um, aware of maybe even not even having a lawn, perhaps Mm -hmm. using other sorts of plants that Mm -hmm. don't require lots of additional water, for example. Yeah. Um, 
But there are also interesting things that we as humans that are, we don't really think about. Like for a long time, we were flushing medications down the toilet mm -hmm. and then that was going out there. And now we have actually fairly contaminated waters as a result of that. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of gently re-educate people to change lifelong behaviors so that it can be for the good? Yeah. Um, so for the most part, we, you know, talk a lot about education again as a way that we can you know what we can do to help the ocean um, the second thing we really stress is our use of plastic particularly single-use plastic so um, that's like the number thing number two thing we say you can do is avoid plastic um, and beyond that we talk about you know ocean conservation and doing coastal cleanups and things like that or neighborhood cleanups um, as an as a further way to connect with the environment but also connect with you know the waste that we produce um, beyond that being a responsible consumer whether it's food or you know where we live or the clothes or products that we buy um, so that's a big, big piece that we talk about as well when we, you know, discuss what you can do. And then the last thing is, you know, spreading the word and kind of getting the message out and being an advocate in whatever form that takes, um, you know, for the positive change and sustainable change. So I know that a lot of people have read about the enormous kind of plastic island that is floating yes. somewhere in the midst of, you know, the global waters yeah. and felt pretty overwhelmed by that piece. Mm -hmm. um, have we made any sort of appreciable dent in this enormous plastic island? Yeah. Um, yeah. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch is the largest um, of those, you know, trash islands, which is kind of a misnomer because it's, you know, it's still floating trash. It's suspended in the water column at various depths. So it's not, you know, a solid island that you could stand on or anything. Um, but yeah, these collections of trash occur in all of the ocean basins. They're created by circulating currents um, called gyres that you know, you can imagine kind of like a whirlpool just collects anything in it. Um, so unfortunately, that's a lot of trash these days. Um, there are a lot of efforts to clean up these, you know, garbage collection sites, um, particularly the Ocean Cleanup Project is, um, you know, creating these huge, huge boats with these big nets that move super slowly. So they're not catching any wildlife, um, but can catch the you know, inanimate trash. So yeah, it's a, it's a big issue. And of course, when that trash or plastic is in the ocean, it's experiencing the elements of the ocean. So salt and currents and water and sun and wind and all these factors cause it to become very brittle um, and ultimately break down into smaller pieces, microplastics, which, you know, have now been found basically every corner of the planet, oceans, you know, shallow water, deep water, remote areas in our food supply, in our drinking water, in our blood, baby poop, all kinds of things. <laughs> so, you know, it is really important to remove that debris from the ocean. But um, beyond that, it's, you know, cutting it off at the source. So most trash in the ocean is from land-based sources, from, you know, carried by rivers or wind. Um, so if we're able to, you know, kind of control the, the waste stream upstream a little, um, and make less trash in the first place, 
that's really how we're going to get out of this mess. Yeah. And I know that some, we've become more aware of things like micro beads and yeah. face, face washes mm-hmm. or, you know, being careful about how often we wash our fleece because, mm-hmm. you know, you've got microfibers yeah. that go out in the wastewater. And, yep. and I think those things are actually really helpful because, you know, you look at something and you're like, well, somebody's selling it, it must be fine. Right. Which is not always true, but it's not necessarily that the company is saying, here, I'm going to put this thing out there that's going to be problematic down the road. Right. We have to be aware ourselves. Certainly. Yeah. And there's, you know, so much greenwashing that's out there or blue washing if it's related to the ocean and ocean issues. Um, so I think that's, you know, just another important lesson is being a responsible and educated consumer. Um, and, you know, ultimately consuming less and using less. And, um, you know, I always try to get, you know, more quality things that I will replace, never or much less often than something that's cheap and convenient and that sort of thing. You know, that's actually one of the, you know, sometimes people will think, well, Patagonia, they make fleece and they use, I think, right. recycled plastic to yeah. make their products. <laughs> the thing I've noticed about Patagonia products is they actually last an incredibly long time. Right. I mean, so that's a great example of you've recycled something. Maybe there could be some microfibers, but you're also going to reach a point where you're not you know, going to be needing a new one next year or exactly. something, or it's going out of fashion or something. So yeah, I think that's a big piece is like choosing quality and kind of, you know, thoughtful products, whatever they may be. So one of the things that I have pondered a lot recently, because um, my husband and I just came back from Tampa. And mm-hmm. so you've got, you know, the Gulf Coast of Florida, yeah. and you've got a fairly significant dead zone as a result mm-hmm. of not ocean, but really, you know, kind of river and, and yeah. um, fresh water that actually drains down in that direction. And and some of that is related to agriculture and, and very much so the foods that we all need to eat and how do we produce those foods on large scales. And, mm-hmm. and so when I just think about these very big things that are happening and I think, well, okay, I'm not going to use a straw <laughs> as my single use plastic, right. which that's great. But then there's such big kind of industrial things going on. Totally. Some of which, I mean, we don't have a great replacement for industrial food production. Right. So um, how do you introduce that topic to a (laughs) fifth grader, let's just say? Yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, the coast and coastal environments and estuaries is a big um, piece of that. So, you know, the, the Gulf being the emptying point for the Mississippi River, basically, where much of the runoff from, you know, America's farmland is carried. Um, so that's ultimately what leads to the dead zone that you spoke about. Um, you know, all the excess nutrients are carried and it leads to a kind of bloom in algae, phytoplankton, um, and other plankton. And when that those plankton die off, it creates an environment where the oxygen is, you know, sucked out of the environment and can create yeah, a dead zone that you spoke about. So it's a big issue. We talk a lot about estuaries and kind of imagine, you know, what could be carried by a river, whether it's the Mississippi River or a local river. Um, and it's nutrients, it's trash, it's species, it's sediment, it's all kinds of things. So um, we don't necessarily get into like industrial farming, but I think we um, start to kind of hopefully instill in the students that 
kind of this bigger picture to think about, you know, the impacts of, of different things. And we certainly talk a lot about runoff and, you know, the effects of that. But yeah, it's, I mean, there's so many examples like that, these really big challenges. Um, but I think if we start to start small, um, and kind of embrace this mindset of, you know, that we can all be a part of the solution and, um, you know, not to put our heads down and just, you know, get frustrated or <laughs> worse. Um, I think there's a real opportunity for, for positive change. Um, but yeah, it's definitely big issues. I know I, I can tell I've actually brought the, the, the mood down a little bit because these are, these are, these are just enormous topics. And yes. that's why I give you so much credit for um, going in and engaging people and helping yeah. them to understand better, but in a way that isn't fear-inducing or, right. or overwhelm-inducing, because I think that is the paralysis some, that totally. some people suffer with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how often do we hear somebody say, well, what's, I don't the, really, point? what's yeah. the point? I don't know where this recycling is going to yeah. anyway, so I'm not going to do this. Like, yeah. It just seems like too much extra effort, you know, like kind of fatalistic in a way. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it can feel like that. I mean, these are large, large challenges. And in a lot of ways, it's, you know, kind of like David and Goliath, where for the plastic issue in particular, we're going up against oil and gas companies that see plastic as their, you know, most promising revenue stream with the decline in, you know, fossil fuels. So they don't want to stop making oil and stop using, you know, drilling and creating all this. So they, instead of, you know, just cutting back, they say, oh, we can make more plastic and use more plastic. So it's, you know, and they're entirely profit driven. So we're coming up against these huge, huge corporations. Um, yeah, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big topic. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, but you know, I think there's immense power in, in environmental and in individual action and education can really kind of shift the way that we see the environment and see the oceans. Um, so I think it's, you know, kind of the, the first step, the gateway towards future sustainable change. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I don't mean to be in any way negative. I just, this is something that when I first yeah. started learning about it, and certainly it was long before this was into the mainstream, um, I personally, I experienced this. Like, I yeah. don't want to drink the water anymore because, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's so many different things that impact it. And as mm -hmm. a human, I'm bringing this into my body. Mm -hmm. But I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think you choose to frame it in a way where you move forward and mm -hmm. you attempt to do what you can whatever your given circumstances. Right. Um, in your case, I'm also interested because there is an art connection. Yes. And um, you've some, you've, you've, you are yourself a creative individual, and also there is an art connection with the saltwater classroom. So yeah. tell me about that. Yes, it's multi-layered. Um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, we seek to kind of engage learners at every level and um, so you know, with that being said, our, our curriculum is very interdisciplinary. We incorporate a lot of art-based activities, um, you know, language and music as well, so that every every child can connect with the ocean in some way. Um, so we do, you know, 
cyanotype sun prints with ocean found objects. We practice like scientific sketching and that sort of thing. Um, they, you know, design little sculptures of plankton to, to race and test, you know, neutral buoyancy and that sort of thing. So it's a lot of creative, um, activities in our curriculum, certainly. Um, but the, the second piece is, ways that we're connected to the ocean and ways that we communicate, you know, the ocean's role in our lives. And art is certainly a huge component of this. So we talk about art and, you know, the inspiration drawn from the ocean a lot in our curriculum too. Um, it's a big, big piece. So when I've talked to artists over the last, um, you know, year or so that we've done this particular yeah. podcast, a, a lot of them talk about specifically coming to Maine or, or spending time in Maine as a result of being near the ocean yeah. and not just its impact on their creativity and their subject matter, but also its ability to be healing. Mm -hmm. Does that come into your curriculum in any way? Mm -hmm. Certainly kind of tied in with, you know, our, our final themes when we talk about what we as humans, you know, use the ocean for. So whether it's, you know, we'll start with fisheries and food or jobs and transportation, but some of the things that kind of come out as we, you know, tease the, tease the question a little bit more are things like, you know, renewal or peace or inspiration or these things that are really, really vital to us as humans. Um, and the ocean is a big, big piece in that. You know, I feel like lately there's been a lot of research about, you know, the healing effects of just being in water, whether it's the ocean or, or another natural body of water, but it's really powerful. Um, so yeah, I'm not surprised that's a, a common theme that comes out. Yeah. And I know I, I interviewed the author of a book called Blue Mind. And so mm. a lot of what he was talking about was related to kind of being in water and being around water. And I think recently there have actually been scientific studies about yeah. people who just live near water, right. um, feel it's kind of calming impact. So it, it seems like that's, you know, yet another reason for us to be protective of this, because not only right. do we, we drink it and we utilize it, but it, we also kind of coexist with us right. with it in an important way. Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, kind of despite the, you know, immense importance of the ocean, we really don't learn about it much. Like we have all these connections to it, but ocean literacy is such a small topic in, you know, most education for, for people, whether they're here in Maine or elsewhere. Um, there's some examples of, you know, curriculum around the world that leave out the word ocean entirely. So it's like a really small piece. It's interesting that we don't talk about it as much as we should or, um, but yeah. So thinking back to when you were in Chile and mm -hmm. you weren't specifically focused on the ocean, did you did you have a sense that they were doing environmental education kind of at the level that you're describing um, now in the work that you do with a saltwater classroom? In Chile, you mean? Um, I didn't really get much of a sense of that. Um, the school that I was working in, uh, volunteering in rather, was... A pretty, you know, impoverished school in the hills above the city. Um, and, you know, it was a very nice education. I didn't really see any examples of ocean learning there. Um, there are some cool projects down there that are, you know, hoping to connect kids with the ocean more so. There's a, you know, 
um, a nonprofit called the Valpo Surf Project in the area that gets kids out, you know, in the water, in the waves, surfing. Um, and they include a lot of environmental education in there, too. Um, but no, I didn't I didn't really see much of it. And I think here in Maine, on the other hand, there are so many great examples of ocean education, of hands on learning. Um, but saltwater classroom, our approach is a little bit different. And I'd actually love to segue a little into our our second phase for the organization, which I can't believe I haven't mentioned until this point. Oh, the <laughs> stage is yours, please. <laughs> Um, so I kind of spoke about, you know, it's, it's the education and then the connection, um, and the connection is facilitated through an app. So we're in the process of building fundraising and building, um, and developing an, a platform for ocean literacy and ocean education that will be app based. Um, we see this as a really unique opportunity to, you know, not only provide more opportunities to learn about the ocean and connect with the ocean and all the different topics that there are, um, but also to connect students and make our approach more accessible and more scalable. Um, you know, there's a lot of barriers that can face ocean literacy, whether they be geographic, if you live inland, you know, whether it's Maine or middle of Mexico or the middle of anywhere, um, that can be a barrier, but still you're connected and influenced by the ocean whether it's geographic, um, economic, or physical, even if you, you know, are not able to get down to the shore, you might not have a strong connection with it, but, um, it's still critical that we all are learning about it. So we're really excited about this next phase. Um, we've had some excellent support so far as well. We were just successful with a grant from the Maine Technology Institute to support this. Um, and we've had a, yeah, a lot of other wonderful partners. So exciting if people were watching and they're interested in yeah. um i guess helping you with the fundraising or development of this app then how would they learn more yeah certainly so on our website uh saltwaterclassroom.com there is a page about this tech integrated approach where you're able to um, see some of our prototypes actually hear some excitement from the students there's a little edited sound bite of um you know, their reactions to the idea, um, and to the, to the prototypes. Um, and then there's a, yeah, opportunity to support or, you know, many times the support can take the form of introducing us to someone or connecting us with the, you know, company that funds this type of thing or that sort of thing. So there's definitely, yeah, a lot of opportunity and we'd be grateful for any help or support or ideas. Okay. Well, very good. Yeah. Well, well since this is, a radio show that connects with a lot of very creative and engaged people. Yeah. I'm hoping that um, if you're watching and you have an interest in supporting the saltwater classroom and the work that they're doing, the app that they're creating, um, that you can actually look them up online and um, maybe kind of see where see where this goes. Yeah, it's a really exciting development. So we'd love to yeah share it with people. Well, very good. I appreciate your taking the time to come in and talk with me today. You're clearly very passionate about this and I think it's, um, it's great work that you're doing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, thank you. I'm Dr. Lisa Belial and you have been listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today in the studio with me, I've had the founder and executive director of the Saltwater Classroom, Lexi Dudera, who is clearly doing 
very important work to help us sustain and uh, perhaps improve uh, an important element of the world in which we live. So thank you for joining us today. I hope that you will support the Saltwater Classroom. And Lexi, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you.